You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognize that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by Duncan Baker, Conservative MP for North Norfolk and to the and by the chief executive of the campaign group Freedom From Torture. Well, the next 24 hours, the fifth day of the Russian invasion will be crucial for Ukraine. As the country's officials meet with Russia at the border with Belarus, we'll see if the peace talks yield any meaningful results. President Zelensky has voiced scepticism that they will. Ukrainians are looking for a ceasefire and withdrawal of troops from its territory after those in Kyiv emerged from a weekend curfew. The meeting comes after President Vladimir Putin put Russia's nuclear forces on alert. The UK's Defence Secretary Ben Wallace says the threat has to be put into context. We assess him putting the deterrent into the communication space, reminding people that he has a deterrent. Uh, And it's also about distracting the world and the public from what he's actually doing in Ukraine. It doesn't link to anything specific. The UK, meanwhile, is stepping up its support to Ukraine with £40 million of further aid. The Treasury is also prohibiting British people and companies from doing business with Russia's central bank. Sanctions are beginning to bite. Russia's currency, the ruble, lost as much as a third of its value. Stocks fell and the price of European gas surged. BP shares also dropping after its decision to exit its stake in Russian oil firm Rosneft. Well, let's discuss this now with our guest this morning, Duncan Baker. He's Conservative MP for North Norfolk. Duncan, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Now, a delegation led by uh, Ukraine's defence minister is meeting with uh, Russian counterparts today. What's the best we can hope from the talks? Well, good morning, Ewan, and good morning, all the listeners. I I think it's it's positive, isn't it? Whether it's a, a distraction or not, I think remains to be seen. Uh, I mean, some of the reports coming through are that people are not holding out that this is going to mean that anything is radically going to change. But I think it demonstrates that uh, Mr. Putin has realised that what he has started has not gone anywhere near as well as he perhaps thought. How much do you blame a disunited Europe for emboldening President Putin? Uh, the, the EU and Germany... Uh, have certainly very much now joined the international effort to isolate Moscow. The EU sending uh, arms to a a country at war for the first time in its history. But this has all come very late, hasn't it? Well, it's, it is, you have to remember, you have got 
uh, you know, well over 25 countries all coordinating at the same time and trying to work in lockstep together. And of course, some will always move at different rates. I think the United Kingdom um, has been uh, very good. I think under our leadership, our sanctions have been far reaching. Um, but again, we still moved at different rates to others. For instance, uh, economic sanctions have come pretty quickly. We know that the Swiss system was uh, held up slightly, removing uh, Russian banks from that by some member states. Uh, the United Kingdom is at the forefront of that. Arguably, turn it on its head. The EU has been very quick with what they're going to do with refugees. And we will hear from that later today. So and it's a complex and it's extremely fast moving. Uh, and it is always going to be more difficult when you've got lots of member states all coordinating together to make sure the information goes out at a coordinated time. And have we have we got anything left if things, let's hope they don't, but if things get get worse in Ukraine, can can we can we hit Putin with anything else, or have we uh, is that is that it? Have we have we run out of uh, of diplomatic and uh, and sanctions to, to 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 levy on the Russians? Well, I mean, it seems at the moment that we are seeing uh, fresh sets of sanctions emerging almost. Um, by a daily basis, I noticed today that even uh, more fresh banking sanctions are being laid out by the Chancellor, and I think we will see that coming uh, down the tracks as well. We've seen further sanctions onto uh, Russian oligarchs. We've seen the Economic Crime Bill is now going to be tabled and uh, dramatically accelerated into Parliament, which I think is absolutely the right thing to do. So I think as this uh, as this crisis continues to unfold, you know, the Prime Minister has been very clear: we won't stop at uh, moving with anything like the number of sanctions that we need. But I think you know, we have to remember that we're dealing with an individual who doesn't play by the rules. So I've always been fairly clear in my mind that sanctions will only go so far. You've got an individual who, since he uh, annexed Crimea in 2014, has built up vast reserves to be able to insulate himself pretty much from many of the sanctions uh, from the West. I think his biggest problem, personally, is his own people, his own people who do not want uh, this war, who do not want to see what he is doing. And as we've seen over the weekend, uh, usually Russians who are very, very quickly snuffed out if they protest at anything that Putin does are really rising up against him. The world has changed. And in the last uh, decade, you know, the advent of social media, people, uh, you know, personalities in Russia rising up against him and condemning what he's done. They, I think that poses a serious problem to him, as does his own generals around him, where we've seen these uh, very concerning clips where they don't even seem to be particularly convinced by the actions he's taken. And perhaps that, coupled with everything else that's going on, will be the best way of holding him in his tracks. Mm, certainly something worth watching. Now, you say that sanctions will only go so far. Olaf Scholz announcing over the weekend a, a massive... Uh, increase in German defence spending. Do you think we need to, to ramp up spending on defence? Well, don't forget it was only what, a year ago that we did uh, announce an enormous uh, package of um, increasing defence spending. Um, this certainly uh, sharpens our minds that uh, you know, it's often a, a question that we, 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 we turn to, that are we investing enough in our defence? And of course, at moments like this, it very much makes you think, are we? But it was only uh, about 12 months ago that we announced the package of 12.5 billion of defence spending. And I remember at the time people sort of saying, you know, why on earth are we doing this? Well, you can actually see 
how important it is to always make sure that you have investment in your military. Now, you say the UK has taken a lead on sanctions, but it doesn't seem that it's got its policy straight on taking in refugees. Do you think, is this another story of Home Office incompetence? No, I think it, it goes back to what we said before. There, there are sanctions that are coming out at various speeds, uh, and we have seen already this morning the Defence Secretary saying that, well, certainly we said over the weekend, we saw the Prime Minister saying that, you know, we have always been a safe uh, haven for people who are fleeing persecution, and we will do that again. The Defence Secretary said, you know, this morning that we have that very generous track record. We've done it uh, certainly with Afghans, the Arab scheme, Hong Kong nationals as well. What we'll see this afternoon is, I think, the full package of what we will do. I think we have to be very clear and understand the differences between what has perhaps happened with Afghanistan and what's perhaps been happening with Ukraine. So the reality is is that um, Ukraine will see huge, vast movements of displacement of people, but largely they will want to go back. I mean, of course, a crystal ball would we don't have of what's going to happen in the coming months. But let's assume that uh, this, this situation very quickly becomes under control and Ukrainian refugees will want to go back. It will mainly be women and children who will want to return to their husbands. That's a very different situation to uh, people fleeing Afghanistan who essentially will never want to go back. So I think we have to get that context right. Uh, we need to be that safe haven for people, and we always have been. But I think we have to understand how we uh, handle that, because it is a different situation to many, many people who have been refugees before. But I think we've got to wait till this afternoon. I mean, I can tell you now and your listeners, I have been uh, onto the government this morning about this, that we have to show some real strong leadership on our support for refugees, because you know, I think it's absolutely uh, key. And it has so many ramifications for other facets of life. I mean, you know, we in the United Kingdom still rely hugely on labour forces to uh, help in the agricultural sector. Um, Ukrainian men are not going to be coming to the United Kingdom over the summer months. You know, there's issues all around to deal with. We need to get very, very much on the front foot about how we deal with refugee crisis and also the wider implications it has for, for our country. So some more leadership on support for refugees. Now, on another issue, a poll over the weekend says that Tory support has dropped to 2005 levels in the wake of the uh, the, the many scandals over Downing Street parties. The uh, poll of 4,500 people says the Conservatives could lose 164 seats at the next election. Now, what's your take on that and, and what it means for North Norfolk? Of course, traditionally a very solid Lib Dem seat won by you and the Conservatives in uh, 2019. Are you worried about the next election? Um, no, not really. It's a long time away at the moment. Uh, as people around the constituency said to me over the weekend, they said, blimey, you haven't really had much of a break, have you? you within a 100 days, you ended up dealing with a pandemic. We've slightly come out of that. And of course, people completely passed them by about the restrictions lifting last week because all our focus now turned to the Ukrainian crisis. So you have to remember this is a, a government that... Um, and new MPs like myself who have really, really been thrown in at the deep end. And frankly, my overwhelming position has always been to make sure you support my constituents. I mean, I was the second biggest swing in the country uh, away from the Liberal Democrats. I don't think they offer uh, any real uh, valid uh, opportunity for leadership in the future. We've moved very much to a two-tier system like the Americans. It's either uh, the Conservative Party or the Labour Party that will be governing the country. Uh, and I think actually 
you know, when it boils down to it, you've seen the polls uh, over the weekend. They've closed right back up again. I think in one poll I saw, Conservatives were only four, four points behind, which is frankly remarkable uh, when you outlay all the different sort of problems that we perhaps had have to deal with with the pandemic and such like. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's a long way to go and there's a long time before this election. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. Uh, Leanne Gerrins joins us in the studio. Hi, Leanne. Thanks for joining us. Now, let's just step away from Ukraine for a moment. It looks like there's going to be more chaos on the London underground. Yes, indeed, Ewan. Good morning to you, too. I just want to say something. I was on the tube this weekend. I feel like I haven't ever seen it so busy since the pandemic. But let's move away from that. Because what's happening is tube strikes are now really back on the agenda in the city this week. Londoners are being advised to work from home. That's tomorrow and Thursday to just avoid all disruption to the underground. But the big question is, why is this happening? We've seen strikes before last year. So last week, the RMT union said the strike is going to go ahead after failing to reach an agreement with Transport for London. About 10,000 underground workers are going to be walking out. And this is all over the dispute. Uh, TFR wants to cut up to 600 station posts, as well as concerns over pensions and working conditions. And of course, we heard lots about the night tube, didn't we, which uh, triggered the last strikes. But unlike November, industrial action all lines are going to be affected this this time round and the transport authority here in London is really battling to cut costs to get a longer term funding agreement from the government and of course lots of us were not traveling during the pandemic so TfL did lose lots of money yeah big uh, tube strike and I don't know when you were traveling over on the tube over the weekend if people were wearing masks but that brings us quite nicely to the second thing I want to talk to you about, which is these COVID measures uh, being relaxed right across uh, the UK. Uh, a big uh, a big drop-off in measures. The final measures are uh, starting to go, aren't they? 
I'll tell you something. No one was wearing masks, but everyone was drunk and singing. And I felt like I haven't seen that for a really long time. So um, you remember from last week here in London and in the UK, we had Freedom Day. Well, in England, actually, again, Freedom Day 2.0. But it kind of passed us by, didn't it? So we all forgot that we didn't have to wear face masks on TfL and on public transport. But all those measures have now gone. And after nearly two years since the pandemic actually started, Scotland is dropping the measures today. So pupils and schools in Scotland will no longer need to wear face coverings in class. The requirement for teachers as well has been lifted this morning. But the Scottish government says anyone who still wants to wear a mask will be supported in doing so. But the legal requirement on large venues to implement the vaccine passport scheme is also coming to an end in Scotland. So really, Ewan, Freedom Days come, it's past us by, but life is slowly returning to some sort of normal. And easy in Scotland. Well, let's get back to Ukraine. We're going to discuss this more with my next guest in a second. But just before that, 360,000 people have have fled Ukraine so far. That's according uh, to an estimate from the UN Refugee Agency. What do we know about what the UK is doing to help so far, Leanne? Yeah, you and just before we get into that, I wanted to say if you were watching any of the news channels over the weekend, there were really emotive pictures of people trying to flee cities across Ukraine to get to safety. And there were many children waving to their fathers as they did leave with their mothers. But the UK is to relax visa requirements for Ukrainians fleeing the country who do have have relatives living here in the UK. And I did watch an interview with Boris Johnson over the weekend and he said the UK would not turn their backs in on Ukraine at this real time of need. But Labour says the government's plans are shameful. The rules only cover certain relatives and exclude parents and siblings. So they're calling for more to be done. And now there are suggestions that could be expe- extended to match the EU's pledge of welcoming refugees for up to three years without asking for them to apply for asylum and like I said the government has been facing growing calls to do more for people who are fleeing Ukraine and as you just said there Ewan really hundreds of thousands of people trying to get to safety and I know you'll be speaking to Sonia Skeets next and she'll definitely be able to give you more information on this. Thanks, Leanne. Let's explore more on this uh, situation. The UN says that more than 100 civilians have now been killed in the Ukraine conflict and hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians have fled over the border to neighbouring countries, including Poland and Hungary. Now, this looks like it's shaping up to be a humanitarian crisis and pressure is mounting on countries, including the UK, to do their part. Well, let's discuss this now with Sonia Skeets uh, from uh, Freedom From Torture. She's chief executive of Freedom From Torture. They're petitioning the government to help Ukrainian refugees. Now, Sonia, the UK has stepped up its Ukrainian, uh, its, its humanitarian aid to Ukraine and to neighbouring countries. Isn't this the best way to, to help people? Certainly support to Poland and Hungary and these other states that are neighbouring Ukraine is one part of the fulsome humanitarian package that the country is looking for Boris Johnson to deliver. It, it's absolutely not enough. Um, you've heard the Prime Minister saying uh, very publicly over the last couple of days that he uh, wants Britain to be receiving Ukrainian refugees here in Britain. And over the weekend, as Leanne was saying, uh, they've made some announcements to relax some of the visa rules uh, for Ukrainians uh, who are here. 
But this response is woefully inadequate. It's out of step with our European partners, and, and you just described that. And it's out of step with public opinion. There are polls showing that you know, an overwhelming majority of the public want to see a really welcoming approach to Ukrainian refugees. But even worse, uh, these, you know, this fiddling with the visa rules is actually little more than a bid for political cover by a government that is, while everybody's got their eyes uh, focused on Ukraine, trying to pass a bill through Parliament that would criminalise Ukrainian and other asylum seekers who make their own way here to Britain to claim asylum. Do you think the government is making a deliberate decision not to allow many refugees, or do you think this is a matter of, of more Home Office incompetence? Um, my response to that would be, I mean, we, we can't know for sure, but that this is very politically driven. A couple of years ago, uh, the Conservative Party, uh, no doubt, I advised by political advisers from, from my country, Australia, where these tactics have been used before, decided that a pathway through to a win in the next election uh, was to stoke up hatred um, against asylum seekers trying to come to Britain for protection. And so what we see is a continuation of that politics playing out in, in the context of Ukraine, all the while the government just you know, misunderstanding that it is just losing the connection with the British people on this. I mean, we are seeing people all over the country turning up to uh, uh, depots being run by support groups, offering all kinds of provisions for, for asylum seekers. A petition that Freedom From Torture has launched has now had more than 130,000 signatories. And as I said before, there is polling showing an overwhelming majority of the country wanting to see a generous resettlement offer uh, for Ukrainians. So, uh, you know, this is it's, it's a it's a political strategy that is absolutely backfiring. The good news is that there is uh, good time left for the government to change course. We're expecting uh, more announcements later today, uh, with you know a, a little bit more of a relaxation of the visa rules. But the crucial thing that needs to happen is an about face on provisions of the Borders Bill that would, as I was saying before, criminalise Ukrainians and other asylum seekers who come here under their own steam to seek protection. And we are calling on MPs from every party to be voting down these cruel, cruel provisions which would be criminalising people who need our help in these ways. I think the uh, government would dispute your your uh, characterisation that they are trying to stoke up hatred. We've just been speaking to Conservative MP Duncan Baker, and he says he's been lobbying the government for, uh, to, for to accept more more refugees. I just want to talk to you a bit about the the practicalities of this. How would you like refugees to be processed, given that they're uh, a long way from Ukraine, and there is really no vacant housing in this country, is there? Where do you expect people to live when they come here? So what we would expect to happen is exactly what the uh, signatories to the Refugee Convention back after the Holocaust uh, envisaged, which was that if any asylum seeker needing protection found their way to a country, they would have access to a fair, effective and efficient asylum system. That is what we are saying must remain in place. And I would just say, and I think this is important for viewers um, and listeners, that we are all aware that the vast majority of the Ukrainian refugees will remain nearby to Ukraine, including because they will be hoping that this war will finish quickly and that they will be able to return home. They will also have relatives and the like um, in neighbouring states, many of them. 
but a small proportion will want to find their way here to the UK, including because of family uh, connections or other relationships or for language uh, reasons. And for that small proportion, uh, we want to make sure that the doors are open. And it has been so heartening over the last few days to hear so many Conservative politicians and other Conservative figures coming out and saying that Britain should come into lockstep with our European partners and enable Ukrainians to make their way here without visas. And at that point, they'll be able to claim asylum, um, just like everybody else. And um, in order to facilitate that, as Britain has done um, in crises in other historical periods, we would be looking for government to be brokering the relationships with local authorities and putting the money into making sure that there is accommodation uh, for those who are arriving. But alongside that, um, there are many, many community groups who we're seeing who are putting up their hands and saying that they would like to provide shelter for Ukrainians. So we know that as a country we can do this. It's what the public wants. And all eyes will be on the Prime Minister over the coming days to make sure that he is stepping up um, and responding to those calls and also rethinking the most pernicious provisions of the Borders Bill. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than a destination. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all. All of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a Stiefel Financial Advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.